listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. This month's topic, uh, we call it Women in Ministry, and I've been looking forward to it this whole, we, we usually come out with a, um, announcements of what the topics are six months in advance, and, and so I've been looking forward to this topic for about six months, and we have guest speakers, women speaking all this month. Last week was uh, Becky Grothy, she talked, if you were here, kind of shared like uh, mother's advice for those of us that are in college and 20-somethings, uh, things that your mom uh, should have told you, or maybe she did, but she... Uh, uh, last week was reminding us, and Becky, uh, I this is my confusion um, because I have a baby and got up every half hour last night and just have no sleep. I thought Becky was speaking today, and so if you look at your skillet, um, it has a picture of Becky and her name, but Becky's not speaking today. She's speaking next week, and so Kim Troby, why don't you come on up here? Kim Troby uh, is speaking today. She is a pastor on staff. Um, she's one of our core pastors. She's the, or one of our women's pastors. And um, I got to know Kim really well because she was in a theology class all last semester. And she knows her theology. She knows her stuff. She's been in ministry for a long time. She has kids that are our age almost, if you could believe that. I can't. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, Kim Troby. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Well, um, just so you know, I am not this woman that's on the skillet. I am Kim Troby, but if this doesn't work out well today, would you please tell everybody that Becky spoke this morning at the Mill Sunday School? That would be uh, really, really helpful for me. Wow, I can't believe how many guys I'm seeing here today to hear about women in the faith. All the single ladies, look around. These are the people that you want to go for, okay? Let's just have a little moment of looking around here. <laughs> well... I just prayed and prayed and prayed about what do you want me to talk about, Lord? What do you want these guys and girls, women, to know about women in the church? Is there somebody you want me to speak about specifically? And after a while, it just became clear. This is something that's near to my heart because uh, I'm a woman. And uh, I have been given apostolic gifts, teaching gifts, preaching gifts. And so my interest is in what is the role of a woman in the church. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. And believe me, I am not going to persuade you as to what that is. What I want to do is challenge you to think critically about how you think about it. Because guess what? That's going to inform everything that you do as a leader in your church. All right? So we are going to um, get started into this. If you are not already in leadership, I met with a bunch of mill leaders this morning. If you're not not already in leadership, you will be one of these days. And so we really need to look at what's going on with this. Women have been influential in every area of our lives. Government. Right now, we can look at Angela Merkel in Germany. She's very important. Uh, Back in my day, when I was your age, Margaret Thatcher, one of the greatest governmental minds, was Prime Minister of Great Britain at that time. Uh, What about industry? I mean, we can look at industry today and see that women are having an impact in industry. Uh, Education. I just went to a two-day Willow Creek conference, and this lady right here, Michelle Ree, was there. Now, Michelle was a school teacher and became so good at it that Mayor Fenty of Washington, D.C. asked her to come in and become the chancellor of schools in Washington, D.C. She walked in and immediately closed 23 of those schools. 
and fired hundreds of teachers and was criticized horribly for that. But she also raised the 8th grade reading level. Only 8% of Washington, D.C. kids were reading at grade level when she walked into this office. When she left, 33% of 8th graders were reading at grade level because of the changes that she made. Michelle Ree, if you want to get it, it's called the Bee Eater. She once ate a bee in front of one of her classes, and they all cheered, and life was good. Uh, So academia, government, industry, business. Women are having an effect everywhere that we look. The one glaring exception has been the church. I mean, we know Joyce Meyer, right? (laughs) Who else do we know? We know Lisa Bevere, right? Probably mostly because we go to church here. And Lisa's had a great influence on this church. If you walked across the street today and said, who's Lisa Bevere? I don't know. So why is that? Well, for believers, we want to start back at the beginning, okay? So all the way back to Genesis. Do you guys bring Bibles? You get Bibles, you take notes. You are going to want to take notes on this. So uh, get out a piece of paper and a pen or your PDA or, you know, whatever, iPad, whatever it is that you use. All right, back to the beginning. Go to Genesis 2, and we're going to look at some verses in there about what happened in the beginning of all this. So if you remember in the beginning, God created everything male and female. The word says, from the dust of the ground, God created everything male and female. And we were created to rule and reign together. So God's busy creating all this stuff, and he makes man, Adam, out of dust. And all of a sudden, God looks around and he says, wait a minute, one thing in my creation isn't good. And that is that I made this man, but I have no female counterpart to go along with him. Do you know that, um, and here's, here's an interesting thought that I have. What if Adam embodied masculine and feminine? We don't know that. But God looked around and he had made all the other creation, male and female. And this is the only thing in the creation that God says is not good, that Adam was by himself. So what did he do? He caused Adam to go to sleep. And he took a rib out of Adam. And he made Eve. And remember what... um, Oh, why can't I think of his name? Anyway, he says uh, Adam woke up and looked at her and said, Whoa, man. And that's why she was a woman. (laughs) But I want you to think about that. We are the only ones, ladies, who weren't made out of dirt. We're the crowning achievement in God's creation. We're the end. Nothing else had to be made after that. Right? Genesis, uh, okay, so Genesis 2.7 talks about that. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.22 talks about that. And Eve being God's crowning achievement. Okay, so then we all know what happens after that. And here's where a lot of people start to get tripped up. Because guess who was talking to the snake when things went down? Mm Mm-hmm. The crowning achievement was chatting with the snake, right? And so a lot of theologians, a lot of people have said, hey, guess what? 
She was weaker. She couldn't stand the temptation. She couldn't stand up to it. And so, therefore, the woman is weaker. But I got news for you guys. Guess who was standing right here next to her? You know, the Bible doesn't say everything came to a halt and they went over and got Adam from the lion den, you know, where he was naming something, and brought him back and said, Hey, you want a bite of this apple? The word says she turned to her husband and gave him some. So he's standing there knowing what God said about the tree in the garden. And he doesn't come in and do anything about it. And that's a very, very, very important part for us to know. The first blame game happened in the garden, right? Wasn't me. You know, that woman you gave me, she did it. Now you see how all of a sudden at first she was, whoa, man. And now she's, that woman. Mm -hmm. She made me do it. So what we see in Genesis 3.16, go there. God has to do something about what has happened in the garden. So in Genesis 3.16b, he's been talking to the man, and I want you guys to understand this. Do you know what your curse is? You're going to work, and the ground is not going to produce for you. What's the number one thing in your life that you're interested in, besides women at this point? What you're going to do with your life, right? Your career, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. My husband, his ministry... It's what he thinks about all the time. It's where he finds uh, fulfillment and strength in being a guy. And that was the curse on you guys, that you are going to reach for those things. And look in 316b, what he says to the woman. He says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Very, very important. If man, at the beginning was put in a ruling authority over the woman, why would God need to make that part of the curse? But he says, your desire will be for that man, and he will rule over you. Ladies, I think a lot of what happens with us comes from that curse, because guess what that makes every other woman on the planet? A threat to my man. Right? And I think that happens in Christian circles, too. You ever walked in somewhere, ladies, and everybody does the big, mm-hmm, I know what she's all about. You know, that comes directly from that curse. So what about where we live today? Because we don't live under the old covenant, right? We live in New Testament times. Remember what Glenn talked about last week. We are in the now, okay, and the not yet. The old age is ending. The new age began when Jesus ascended into heaven, and we're here in la-la land somewhere. So that means we're kind of living subject to the curse, but at the same time, Jesus came in to give us a new way of thinking about these things. Go to Galatians 3. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the law, okay? So, what had been going on before, Jesus came as a fulfillment of that. And in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, Paul talks to these new believers called Christians about just what this means for them. Let's read it, 26. You are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ 
have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, wait for it, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, this next thing that I'm going to say is really hard for human beings to understand. God is like 250% masculine, and he is like 250% feminine. He transcends what we know about sexuality. So guys, when you sing heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and the ick factor kind of, you know, goes over the top, God doesn't have that, okay? He transcends what we know about sexuality. There is neither Jew nor Greek, okay? So it doesn't matter your nationality. Slave nor free, your social status is gone. Male or female, doesn't matter to him. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about a very important thing that I want you to understand. Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's an heir? We just watched the royal wedding in April, right? Okay, Wills is the heir to that throne. Okay, and what comes with that? Well, there are three things that come with it, and I want you guys to write these down and remember them. Number one is we have authority. We're all like William and Kate, only our inheritance is the kingdom of God and being in Christ Jesus. So authority, and you've got to write this down. This is the God-assigned right to control, command, oh, some of you guys are liking this, or direct others. And there's some bossy girls out there who are enjoying this as well. (laughs) Within the context of God's defined realm. This is a long one, sorry, but it's good. Or assigned jurisdiction. Is anybody writing this down or is it just me? (laughs) And according to God's revealed will. This is from a Baptist publication. Can you tell? This is like the longest sentence on the planet. Love you, Baptists. For the benefit. We're coming to the end. It's all good. We'll talk about this. For the benefit of those led. I love this definition. Okay, so let's take a look at it. Authority. God assigned. Okay? It gives us rights to control, command, or direct others. Within the context. Okay? This is important right here. Within the context of God's defined realm or assigned jurisdiction. So what God has assigned to you, your jurisdiction, you have God-assigned rights to control, command, or direct. Okay? Very important stuff. 
the most important part of this is it's according to God's revealed will. And the, the, the very most important is this part. For the benefit of those led. We get stuck right here. I want to control. I want to command. I want to tell people what to do. And when you become a family unit, it's easy because of that curse for men to go, okay, I'm in authority. And so that means I get to control, command, and direct. And we forget about that all that controlling and commanding and directing is for the benefit of those who are led, not for our own personal satisfaction. Pastor Brady says this is, he calls it a burden. When you're a man in a relationship, he says you are under a great burden. I prefer to use the word responsibility. We're going to talk a little bit about that because, you know, God says he doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. But if you control, command, and direct others without looking at the benefits of those you're leading, you're going to have trouble in your marriage. You're going to have trouble in your work. You're going to have trouble in your leadership here in the church. Very, very important that our authority is walked out correctly. Okay, let's talk about responsibility. The Bible teaches us that our responsibility as believers is to work uncompromisingly as the Lord has gifted us and leads us in this life. That's very biblical. Do everything as unto the Lord, as if you were working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So let me say that again. The Bible teaches us that our responsibility as believers is to work uncompromisingly as the Lord has gifted us and leads us in this life. So if you are an heir, you have authority. You have dignity. You didn't see Prince William heading up to the altar like this, right? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I've got to make this decision. He walked up there in uniform, in his authority, in his responsibility, and with dignity. Ladies, this is a hard one for us, okay? And guys, just permit me for a second. Women, some of us have been beat down. Some of us don't believe that we are loved by God. Sorry about my microphone. Some of us have issues with what God thinks about us, okay? And that flies directly in the face of our authority, our dignity, and our responsibility. And guess what? The enemy wants to take that away from you because if he does, then you do nothing. And he's won, okay? So dignity, what is that? Merriam-Webster says it's the state of quality of being worthy of honor or respect. Okay, good news. I don't care who you are, what you look like, what you were raised in. According to Christ Jesus, you are worthy of honor and respect and you have dignity. If you don't know it, Google my um, identity in Christ and start reading those verses and speaking them over you every day. Guys, do this as well, okay? If we don't know who we are, who Christ says we are, we're not going to walk in these things. All right, so Jesus came to fulfill the law. He wiped away every distinction, class, sexual, and otherwise. God transcends sexuality, and he says we are heirs to this throne. Even though we're walking in the now, 
and the not yet in the oogly boogly in here. Okay. So what about some biblical examples? All right. You ready? Deborah chapters 4 and 5. You don't have to go there, but you might want to write that down. Deborah, one of the most amazing examples of women's leadership in the Bible in the Old Testament. Okay? She was a prophetess, so she was the top church person. Okay? When somebody was fighting about their goats or whatever, they brought them to Deborah and said, decide this case for us. Boom, she did it. So she was a judge. Okay? And a prophetess. So as we read in Deborah 4, all of a sudden she is sitting there as judge, under the tree, whatever, and people are bringing their cases to her, and all of a sudden she steps out in prophetess mode, okay? And she says, bring Barak to me. Uh, (laughs) uh, Judges 4 and 5. Yes, thank you. I was like, why am I losing them? Why is everybody giggling? Uh, Yeah, says right here, Deborah, Judges 4 or 5. Okay, great. Judges 4 and 5. Um, I'm just wishing that there was a whole book dedicated to Deborah, but that's okay. Okay, so <laughs> remember, Becky Grothy spoke this morning, okay? All right. Okay, so uh, here's, here's Deborah in all of her amazingness sitting under the tree judging Israel, and she steps into that prophetess thing and says, bring me Barak. And Barak was one of her generals, okay? He was the fighting man. And she says, I have a word for, uh, from the Lord for you. And he comes to her and she says, Sisera is messing around with us and I want you to lead the charge to take care of him. The Lord has given him into your hands. And Barak has an idiot moment. I mean, what is wrong with that? You do know that when you're in the womb, and I'm really sorry for speaking about Jay this way because he's really lovely, but when he was in the womb, a testosterone wash came over him at some point, and he became brain dead, is basically what happens. Actually, he became male. (laughs) But we love you. (laughs) It's just the way that it is. It's the way we look at it, right? Okay, so Barack has a testosterone moment, and he says, well, I'll do it if you'll come along with me. Can you just see him like John Wayne? Well, hey, little lady, I'll do that if you'll come right along with me. And I imagine that Deborah rose up in her God-given authority and dignity and responsibility, and she calmly and decisively says, fine, then you will still have the victory, but... The honor and the respect and the glory will go to a woman. And I want you to notice that Barak's testosterone goes away and he says, fair enough. May it be as you have said to me. That's very, very, very important for you guys to remember, okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit later because what Barak showed was a teachable spirit. You're right, I messed up. So what are the cultural implications of a mighty man of war winning this victory but having all the, the accolades go to a woman? Well, they were, they were interesting, okay? He wouldn't have liked that very well. And yet here he was answering to it, the judge and the prophetess who was very every single bit a woman. So let me ask you this. Was Deborah God's second choice? Were there men 
who were supposed to step up and said no when God called. I don't believe that. Catherine Kuhlman was one of um, the 20th century's most amazing evangelists and speakers, a little tiny thing of a woman. And someone once asked her, why do you think you've had this opportunity to have such an impact on the world for Christ? And it just kills me to hear her answer. She said, I believe God brought this duty to man after man after man, and they turned it down, and finally he brought it to me. No! No way, Catherine. In the beginning of time, God said, I am going to need this little teeny tiny fireball to do my will for me. And he fashioned Catherine Kuhlman together and put her together in such a way that she would have an amazing impact on people. We are not God's second choice. Okay? Guys, you are not God's second choice. If you're in a position where God has asked somebody else to do something and they've refused and he's brought it to you, guess what? It was you all along. Okay? We are not God's second choice. So let's say, let me give you some arguments for the legitimacy of Deborah. Number one, we have two chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to her. God could have just as easily said, yeah, let's just forget about the whole Deborah time. That was a little craziness. Things got out of control. And we'll just give her a mention. But he didn't. For one whole chapter, he talks about this battle that is fought. And then, after J.L., the other little tiny person in the Bible, sticks a tent peg right through Sisera's temple and ends everything, God allows Deborah, for one whole chapter, to do nothing but magnify him. Okay? I would argue that brings legitimacy to Deborah's reign. Why did he give her the gifts of leadership if she wasn't supposed to use them? I don't believe that our God gives us these gifts and forms us in this way only to take it away from us and allow us to do something else with our lives. And the last thing I want to say to you is the result of her rule and her reign was 40 years of peace in Israel. Okay? God blessed this reign. Okay, let's move on to the woman at the well, John 4. Not woman at the well, chapter 4. It would be John 4. (laughs) Okay, so we see Jesus, who's sitting out by this well, and this woman comes along. Okay, number one, she's a woman. We all know the cultural aspects of this. She's a Samaritan, so to everybody else, they are like the dog of the dogs, okay? And not only that, she's kind of, how do we say it? A woman of ill repute, okay? She's not doing good things. But Jesus spends time with her anyway. Why did he do that? Well, I believe he did it because, number one, he wanted to show a different way of handling women. And number two, he wanted to show his disciples, this is the way we are going to love women. This is the way we're going to work with them. Because the disciples come back, and Jesus could have walked away from her at that moment and ended everything, but he doesn't. He allows his disciples to see him engaging with her in conversation, so much so that they begin to question, what the heck's going on here? We're not supposed to do that. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's 
Icky. Okay? John 4, 28 and 29. If you're in the Bible, go there. Here's one of the reasons for the legitimacy of talking to this woman at the well. John 4, 28 and 29. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what does she do? She gets up, she walks back into the town, and she starts evangelizing people. Do I need to remind you? Woman, Samaritan woman, icky woman, okay? And people listen to her. Let's go on to John 4.39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Okay. Let's move on to another New Testament woman, Priscilla. She's in Romans, Acts, 2 Timothy, 1 Corinthians. She is mentioned seven times in the New Testament. You know what? Five of those times, her name is listed before her husband. Very unusual. Why is that? Scholars believe that maybe uh, Aquila married up. Okay? Maybe Priscilla had a little higher position in society than he did and so her name came first maybe she was the one with the cash who was funding the churches and helping Paul with his missionary journeys or maybe it was her home that they were meeting in maybe she owned it whatever the reasons her contribution to the house church was tremendous she and Aquila give us the first view in the New Testament of a man and a woman ruling and reigning together under Christ they bring Paul into their home. He build, makes tents with them. They go with him when he leaves. They follow him around. They fund his ministry. In fact, she is even seen teaching a young man in the faith. Okay, Acts 18. You can just write that down. Acts 18. She and Aquila hear Apollos teaching, and Apollos is teaching falsely. And so the Bible says she and Aquila take him aside, and they correct him lovingly. And they, they straighten him out on these things about Christianity. Priscilla was teaching men in the faith. And the last one, Junia versus Junius, Romans 16, 7. I want you guys to write that down because I want you to look at these things and decide for yourself, what does this, all of this mean? Junia is the feminine version of this name. And in the original texts, Junia is known as a female apostle. And according to Paul in Romans 16, outstanding among the apostles and then we see later that the name is changed to junius with an n or with an s that has the more masculine meaning there are a couple different reasons why this might have been first um, because of confusion maybe a, a translator didn't quite know where she fit in all this because paul calls them brothers in the faith okay or could be the bias of the translators. Couldn't have been an outstanding female apostle. Okay? I want you guys to begin reading on this, to begin understanding. There are a lot of things out there. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, and there's much speculation that it's a woman. There are books out there that I would love to have you guys get a hold of and read. This one was recommended to me by Glenn Pacquiam, A Woman's Place, um, House Churches in Earliest Christianity. If you want to come up afterwards and look at this, this is amazing. 
It tells us what they did. This is another good one. Women in the church, Stanley Grintz, he's amazing, okay? And so lots of good information for you to understand. Let's look at a couple cultural examples. I think we spend our lives on one edge of the fringe or on the other most of the time. So we fall, okay? We get kicked out, and right away men ruling over women, doing crazy, making things, okay? We don't have to look very far in history to see that. The Victorian era is a very good example of that, okay? Where women just didn't have a whole lot going on at all. And then what happened in the 60s and the 70s? The pendulum makes this gigantic swing back over here. And the feminist movement began. And women began to say, we want to be equal with men. And that was awesome, okay? But I think what happened in the end was they overplayed their hand. And at the end of it, they said, no, wait a minute. We're not content to be equal with men and to rule and reign with them. We want to be superior to men. We see cultural examples of that every day when we turn on our TV. Blankety blank, my dad says. You know, he's just, he's just an idiot, right? The dad on every sitcom is this bumbling doofus, okay, who cannot lead his family. And I think what God is asking us to do is, can we have a little balance? I'm the God of order here. Can we come back and just look at this from both ends of the spectrum? I can give you examples from the Reformation. Catherine von Born was, or von Bora, was Martin Luther's wife. And Martin Luther was very anti-woman speaking or doing anything in the church. And yet, he called her my Lord Katie. And in his Table Talk series, he said her quick tongue, humor, and stubbornness matched his. We owe a debt of gratitude to the women who married the Reformers. They changed a lot for women in the church. Susanna Wesley, the Methodist church, was started by John Wesley, and he credits much of what he believes about women in the church to his mom, who instilled in he and his brother Charles the spiritual, emotional, and other aspects of being a Christian woman. She was a great example to him. In fact, she had such an impact on him that he made women preachers. He ordained them. In his sermon on visiting the sick, he attacks the requirement of submissiveness that was imposed on women of the time, saying, it's the deepest unkindness, the most horrid cruelty, a mere Turkish barbarity, and I know not how any woman of sense and spirit can submit to it. Prior to this sermon, he had also boldly removed the word obey from the marriage rite when he married people. So what about Paul's teaching in the New Testament? Women, don't give up. It's all good. We look in Corinthians and Ephesians where he talks about the role of men and women. And I want to work through this because we have about 15 minutes left. And I want you guys to understand what's going on in the New Testament. You have to know, when you read the Bible, there are universal truths in the Bible. They are for all people, for all time. Sin, salvation, blood atonement, the Ten Commandments, those are for all people, for all times. And then there are contextual things that are written. One of the most glaring ones, and I really want you to understand this, is in Leviticus 11, 10 and 12. Leviticus 11, 10 and 12, where it talks about shellfish. What? We can't eat shellfish? What the heck is up with that? Well, you have to understand, 
The Jews before Jesus were under Syrian oppression. Hang on, let me fix this. They were under Syrian oppression. And so the Maccabees were a group, a family of priests. And the Jews were being made to eat pork and sacrifice to idols in the Lord's, uh, in the Lord's house. And they hated it. Some of them did. Some of the Jews were taking on more Hellenistic uh, ideals and trying to do things more modern. Sound familiar? And so this Maccabean line of priests, one of them was asked to sacrifice something on the, the altar that would have desecrated it. And he said no. He and a group of his followers ran off, regrouped, and eventually they were able to overthrow their Syrian oppressors. And I want you to see this. What began was this concept of the works of the law. The Jews, after this oppression, wanted to distinguish themselves as different from all the other religions around them. And so the dietary observances, the um, observances of special feasts and days and all those things became uber important to them. They didn't think that they needed it for salvation. The Jews are under the Abrahamic covenant. They know they are chosen. They wanted to distinguish themselves from everyone else. And so that's where you get that pharisaical zeal for keeping all of the laws. And in the New Testament, Paul calls them on it. He talks to them and says, hey, you know what? Abraham, to Abraham, what was credited to Abraham? Faith. Abraham did not follow all these rules and regs. He was a man of faith. And so Paul calls them on it in the New Testament. You have to understand that, um, well, one thing I want you to know is the reason why all these things are coming up now is in the 1970s, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And Duke University, um, they've been studying them there. And we are now gleaning all kinds of information about those times, okay, so that we can understand. So scripture becomes more alive to us through that. If you want to hear more about that, N.T. Wright has written several books. One of them is just called Paul. Another one is called Justification. And they are amazing books for you to read to understand a little bit more about where, why the Pharisees in Jesus' day were so crazy making about all the rules, okay? So the shellfish thing has gone away, okay? One way that you can, it will help you to remember this is whatever was mandated in the Old Testament that was reiterated by Christ in the New is still good, okay? The little, tiny, schmoozy things like shellfish, not so much anymore, okay? Okay, the other thing you need to know is the Corinthian background. The Corinthians had written Paul because it was a mess in their church services. They weren't able to keep things going. They were in turmoil. And part of the problem was because they had women who were getting up in the middle of the church services and asking questions and, you know, giving their two cents worth, okay? These women used to be priestesses in the temple of Dionysus. Was, was that what they were in? Okay. Anyway, many of the women in the Corinthian church had come out of that. Just had to check with the Holy of Holies over here and make sure I was on, <laughs> on the right page. But they were former priestesses. They had been ch in charge of temples themselves. And so Paul says, I don't allow women to speak in church. And I want you to understand that too. Paul says, I don't allow 
women to speak in church, okay? And I want you to think about that critically because it's also Paul who is commending Junia and Priscilla, okay, and all the other women who are helping him on this journey of spreading the gospel. And this is where I want you guys to understand what I told you before is that servant leadership and teachable spirit. These women were displaying non-servant leadership. I'm just going to jump up here and ask whatever I want to and mess everything up for everybody. And a non-teachable spirit. If you will display those two things in your family and in your ministry, things will go well with you. Okay? So Paul is talking about how to deal with these things. So I was talking with Glenn Packiam about this and ran this past him before I brought it to you today and just said, you know, what do you think about these things? And um, he gave me some really good advice. He said, you know what? There are people over here on this end of the spectrum who say, I am in charge of my household as the man and my wife and children are going to do what I say no matter what. And I will tell you that in my office, I see many, many women who are either being hurt by that, are leaving those marriages, or any other number of destructive things that are happening. And I I know you might not think this is serious stuff, but there are guys out there who say, you're not obeying me, so drop and give me push-ups in front of your children. Mommy has to do this because she's not obeying me and I'm the leader of my household. No way. Then Glenn said... Then there's women over, or people over here on this side of the continuum who are like, woo, everybody's equal, even the kids are equal. And those are the ones when you go to Target and they're all in there, you know, and their kids are screaming and, you know, you're just trying to pick up milk or whatever and it's crazy making, okay? I talked about that pendulum before. What I want you guys to do is think critically about this. How do I, as a believer in the 21st century, want to live? How do I want my wife to live? Okay? Let's go to this last part, Ephesians 5. Let's go right there. Because this really trips up lots of people. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Okay, can we just put the brakes on for a second? Because in verse 21, right before then, Paul says to the Ephesians, submit yourselves to one another as unto Christ. And then he begins to talk about wives submit to your husbands. So the submission thing is really for both parties. My husband and I, um, I wish Gary was here with me today. He's amazing. But he is an interim pastor for New Life at a church out in Lyman. And so he's been there for almost a year helping them get healthy again. And this is one of the best things he does for our marriage and our relationship is, Kim, what do you want to do with your life? I see your gifts. I see your calling. And I want to draw that out of you and I want to release you into that. Good leaders see the people around them who are called. They call it out of them, and they release it out into the body at large, okay? And husbands, that's what you do with your wives. And how you handle this in the sphere of your home is how you will handle this in the sphere of management, in the sphere of leadership in your church, and in your community, okay? 
So let's look at submission. It means to yield, to set yourself under. Doesn't mean slavery. Doesn't mean doing push-ups, okay, in front of the kids. It means to yield. So women, we willingly come into this relationship. When Will and Kate get married, and when Will becomes king, she, I can guarantee you, she will have things to say about decisions that he's making, but ultimately, whose decision is it? It's Will's, because the responsibility comes on him. So in our relationship, Gary will ask me about a decision that needs to be made. I will do my input, and if I have any red flags or anything like that, the process stops until we both come to agreement on what needs to happen. Okay? So in that way, we're ruling and reigning together, and he's the head over me. Okay? Balance in the authority. Head. Okay, a lot of uh, modern-day Christian feminists have said head means source or origin, like the source of a river, you know, he brings life, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually the word is kafale, and it means authority over. Okay? What we need to understand is, what does that authority look like? Is it controlling, commanding, and directing without thought of anyone else? Or is it stepping into that jurisdiction to the benefit of those who are being led? And Ephesians 5, 25 through 31. Guys, you got a tough job. Because this says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. That's a big responsibility. Cleansing her alludes to the purification ritual. Remember Esther? Hers went on for a year. Typically, it was about six months. The allusion to water is also a symbol of purity. Present her without stain or wrinkle. That's an illusion of the church being given to the bridegroom of Christ. Okay? So why does all this matter and what does new life think about it? Well, I just talked to Brady on Tuesday. And he saw all this, and he said, yes, 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 that's all great, Kim, good job. But I want you to know that Brady believes that women can serve in every office in the church except the office of elder. And here's his scriptural uh, example of that, 1 Timothy 3.2. You'll want to write this down and take a look at it as well. 1 Timothy 3.2 talks about an elder or overseer must be the husband of one wife. Well, ladies, it's very hard for us to be husbands. There's some modern ways that we could work around that, but we probably don't want to do that. (laughs) So that's Brady's reasoning for doing that. And that's evidenced in, you had Becky here last week teaching. She's our pastor of membership, and she and her husband are pastors of marriage and family. She is an amazing addition to our executive team. Great wisdom and great insight. You have me. I'm standing here before you today teaching you. And I see lots of men out there. I also, uh, Brady has also pulled me up on Sunday mornings to do offering. And in 2012, he is going to allow a woman to preach on Sunday morning from the pulpit. So you'd want to be watching out for that. Okay? So that is New Life's stance on what it means to be a woman in ministry. 
I want to give you a couple of examples if you want to hear amazing women in ministry. Christine Kane, C-A-I-N-E. If you've never heard her before, go and listen. It's called equipandempower.com. And uh, I became familiar with her when my husband and I lived in Sydney for two years and went to Hillsong Leadership College. Christine's ministry is there in Sydney, and she's amazing. Um, another one there, Donna Crouch, C-R-O-U-C-H. She's at Hillsong Church. And another one, um, Darlene Jeck, the starter, the catalyst of the greatest worship program on the planet today, Hillsong and Hillsong United. When she walked into a room, everything changed. Okay? God is having an amazing effect on our world through women. What I want you to get out of this today is, Lord, where am I at on this continuum? Do I want to be this guy over here? Do I want to be this woman in this relationship? Do I want to be over here with the freakies, you know, who just everybody gets a say in everything that's going on? Or do I want to walk somewhere in the middle along with the God of order and work this all out? Okay? And I can't wait because I know when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to move aside at some point. I don't know how this is all going to work. But I can't wait to watch Gary, my husband, stand before the Lord of hosts one day and present me and present Hayden and Drake to him, clean, without blemish, pure, washed in the word. And to hear the Lord say to my, my guy, well done, you did a very good job. And my heart, oh, I want to watch each and every one of you receive that blessing as well. Take this seriously. Understand the role of women in the church, the role of men in the church. And become amazing, great leaders for this kingdom. We need you badly. Thanks for letting me come today and let me pray and close us out, okay? Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity of being a child in your kingdom. Thank you for these amazing young people. I just speak over them in the name of Jesus. They are bringing honor and glory to your name, honor and glory to your kingdom, Father. They are walking in your will and in your word. They are righteous beyond all righteousness, Lord. They are blessed beyond all blessing. Father, they know and understand who you are and what you have for them in their lives. And they are walking in it to the glory of your name. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the gifts of service that you have given to us for nailing yourself to a cross, Lord, for doing all of that for us. We stand in awe of you. And I just ask this all in your precious son's name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Amen. Let's thank Kim for coming today and sharing with us. It's good. Scriptural, it was balanced, it was well-spoken. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> All right, everybody, you're officially dismissed. We'll see you next week. Becky Grothy will be here, and uh, see you then. Peace out. <laughs>